This is episode 102 of Huddle Up with Matias Bueno. Today's guest is Yahoo Sports Canada content creator, Ben Carlos. Ben and I chopped up about movies and pop culture, the Toronto Raptors, as well as his journey of content creation and how he's crafted out a great role for himself in social media. So sit back and enjoy today's episode. But first, a word from our sponsor. If you're like most people, you strive to eat healthy as much as you can, but it gets really difficult when life gets in the way. We get busy, we're running around doing lots of things, it's hard. Being able to eat healthy on the go is super important more than ever now, and that's why I'm here to tell you about G2G Protein Bars. They're the best protein bar for eating healthy on the go. It's made with all natural ingredients, they're fresh, it tastes like homemade, but it's even better. G2G Bars have 18 grams of protein and are gluten-free. With eight different flavors, there's so many different things that you can enjoy about the great tastes of G2G bars and what they have to offer. They're fresh, healthy, and delicious. Make sure to get yours at g2gbar.ca or at your local retailer in Canada or the US. Welcome to Huddle Up with Matias Bueno. Sit back and enjoy stories and insight from sports icons from all over. Welcome to Huddle Up with Matias Bueno. Today, our guest, all the way from Yahoo Sports Canada, the man, the myth, the legend, the pop culture, wiz- the pop culture wizard. He's done so many amazing interviews, and he is absolutely hilarious when you get to vibe with the energy of a person that is deep into the obscurity of Toronto Raptors lore. It is Ben Carlos. Ben, thanks for being on the show today, buddy. I'm really glad to talk to you. That was probably one of the best intros I've ever heard. Thanks, man. Appreciate you. As we were talking, as we could have had a pre-podcast, post-podcast, like an entire series based on our conversation before starting record, we started recording here. You are someone who is very good at being deep into the lore of a team that has struggled through most of its franchise history, the Raptors. I see you've got the Vince Carter, you've got the DeRozan jerseys in the back. Of course, also you got your paying respects to the Black Mamba with the classic late 2000s Kobe Bryant jersey. But being someone who's from Toronto and loves the Raptors, I need to know, how crazy is it to consume the fact that a team you once watched and thought it was a pie in the sky to win a championship now have the standard of competing for first in the East? Because that, to me, is something that blows my mind so much that I actually believed when the Raptors won the finals that it was fake. Someone was pranking me. I still can't believe it to this day. When you're growing up with such awful Raptors teams and the Raptors are essentially a laughing stock, and then let's 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 put it frankly, you know, you got like when I was in elementary school, I got laughed at for being a Raptors fan. I mean, I mean, screw y'all, y'all were bandwagon Lakers and Celtics fans, so y'all can y'all can jump off a bridge, but um yeah, the Raptors are always a joke, so seeing them and the culture shift with the whole we the North era and Maasai. And everything that they've established in Toronto, it's so surreal um, that the Raptors have a new standard for excellence now. Because before, it used to be a thing where, you know, we hang up a division championship banners and we'd be like, you know, pat ourselves on the back like, oh, man, we're, we got ourselves a division championship. Now it's just kind of, now it's just like, yo, we're going for actual championships now. So as a Raptors fan, especially if you've been 
uh, one since for that long, even for people who have been since 1995, it's, it's very, it's very rewarding for sure. When you look at some of the Raptors teams that you had to watch, you mentioned what you started back in 2003 in LeBron's rookie season, the famous future hall of fame class from 2003 with Mello as well as Chris Bosch. Who were some of your favorite Raptors once Vince Carter left? Because people talk about the love of Chris Bosch, and I'm sure that he might be included in a list of players that you enjoyed watching. But the grasping for straws with choosing between a Sonny Weems, let's say, and a James Johnson, which is still on the better half of the Raptors' trajectory after Vince Carter left and then after Bosch left, it really doesn't seem... It seems like weird in retrospect. Did you have a lot of guys that you really pined for after Vince left? Or was it just kind of like, I hope the team does well and Bosch is great and that's kind of it? Oh, no, for sure. I I loved all the players. Man. Even though we weren't the best team, you know, I, when you become a fan of a team, you fall in love with like the players who are playing, regardless of how well they actually perform on the court. Uh, before Vince Carter, uh, Antonio Davis, Jerome Williams, Alvin Williams, loved all those guys. Um, I guess post Vince Carter, you know, Jalen Rose, Mo Pete, uh, scrambling my brain. I guess if we move a little bit further, further, uh, yeah, like Anthony Parker. Not gonna lie, I did for, at a point in time believe that Andrea Bargnani was the next Dirk Nowitzki. Um, didn't we obviously, all? Obviously, that uh, didn't really work out too well, but you know, it's all good. <laughs> it's all good. But yeah, when you have, um when you have a team that isn't that established, you kind of gravitate towards the players that do play for you. So then when they do perform well and they show their loyalty, when you guys do succeed, uh, it's, it's super fulfilling. Um, I remember I I'll, I'll, I'll to this day hold um, this might be a hot take, but I think that the Raptors fans during the 2007 playoff runs, like their atmosphere, the crowd arena, probably on par with the finals in terms of how the atmosphere was. Cause like, obviously Raptors fans are crazy, but I, there's something about that first playoff run in 2007 with Chris Bosch, TJ Ford, Jose Calderon, where the fans were just super into it. Like they, we, everyone, the crowd was, it's like a sea of red, sea of white. You don't see that in Scotiabank arena anymore. Cause everyone's too stuck up to actually put on the t-shirts, but when they do it well, it looks so cool. And the whole crowd's in unison, but in terms of noise, it's still, yeah, they're still okay. But I don't know. There was, um, there was, I forget which series it was. I'm not sure if it was the Nets or the magic where the entire arena started, uh, Jose, 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 like they started Jose Calderon chant. And like, you, you don't see that with, our fans anymore that goes to show just how crazy it felt like a like it felt like a soccer uh it felt like a soccer arena chant like but yeah i think it was a 809 actually because i remember that was the first or one of the first playoff series i watched so 708 was also was also against the magic wasn't it i think it was they played back to back against oh, the six, magic oh, oh, 607 i think was was the, nets. was the nets and then oh seven oh eight was the magic because we both like didn't make it out of the first round then yeah, because that's that was just like wow, like that whole that play, like seeing the Raptors in the playoffs seemed miraculous at that point. And I feel like maybe part of the reasoning behind your take is the fact that they hadn't 
been to the playoffs since they had Vince Carter. And also because of the fact that it's not that they didn't make the playoffs, but they were really bad. Yeah. Like get, allowing Kobe to be the second all time and for points in a game bad with Jalen Rose. And Jalen Rose wasn't even that bad either. Just the fact yeah, that the Raptors team was just, I don't know. They just weren't good. And the fact that they were able to make it back, I think was a miracle in and of itself in the eyes of the fans, which is why probably, you know, maybe people would disagree or people who don't even have memories or didn't even follow the Raptors back then have no basis for comparison. But I could see how you would say that without it being ludicrous. Yeah, yeah, for sure. What is your favorite memory from watching a Raptors game? Live. Because I'm not sure if you've been went to any of the games in 2019, but live, I'm sure you probably had some interesting experiences. So probably I'll have to sum it all up to one season, and that's you know 2018-19 season, of course. Uh, mainly because I was actually working for the Raptors then. I was part of their uh, game crew, so we were the ones like pumping up the fans, throwing T-shirts, getting getting the crowd hyped up. And to this day, the greatest moment from that was being in the arena when Kawhi hit the shot because I'd never in my never in my wildest dreams did I have did it feel like time stopped like when that ball went up in the air and the bounce like it felt like everything was just in slow-mo and so oh I like I and I remember I got in trouble because we're not allowed to have our phones on us uh when we're when we're at work it was just a euphoric moment that I just pulled it out and I took a video selfie. I was like, let's go. And then I posted it on my Instagram. And then my boss on, I got in trouble, but you know, has, yeah, I, to this day, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't change it. I, I'd still do it again. I think <laughs> the saying, I think the saying goes, it's easier to ask for forgiveness than it is to ask for permission. Yes. Yes. It exactly is. It exactly is. You've worked with the rat. You said you worked with the Raptors and then you eventually, now have moved up to working with Yahoo Sports and as someone you love the Raptors and creating content, what was the experience like working with the Raptors being someone who would follow the team for so long? It was, it was surreal, man, because that job I got by complete accident. Um, I was supposed to go to film school in Chicago back in 2017. Um, but my visa got denied. So I was like, okay, what am I going to do now? Uh, and then I remember looking on Facebook and I saw an ad for, for the job and I was like, okay, this sounds fun. And then, you know, went through the whole job process and then I got it and I was like, whoa, this is crazy. Cause I went from being a fan of the team to actually working for the team. Um, so yeah, it's just, um, it's a, it was, it's definitely a blessing. And in terms of all the jobs I've ever worked, that's easily by far my favorite one. And I'm still like, I still consider the people I work with from there, like family. And, you know, it's just when you're, when you're united by something uh, so strong, like we, the North and, you know, the only Canadian basketball team in the NBA, you know, you develop a, you develop a strong a core group of people who are very passionate. Yeah. There's nothing that breaks that can break the bond of, of people like when you're a part of a championship team or when you're a yeah. part of an organization in Canada, being the only team that is from Canada in the entire league. And you have also been known to have had great opportunities to interview former Raptors, people involved in the organization. You've been able to interview Gary Trent Sr., Chuck Swirsky, Jerome Williams, Muggsy Bogues as well, pulling out the Rolodex of the NBA 2K1 roster of the Raptors and brings me back to my days playing 
that game on Sega Dreamcast as a kid. Oh, man. And they do hold a very special place in the hearts of Raptors fans, maybe if they weren't all-stars or NBA champions. So I need to know, let's, let's knock it off the list here. What yeah. was the best thing you enjoyed about interviewing Muggsy Bogues? Because I think that one would be super. Oh, simple. man. <clears throat> Probably um, just learning. And I guess this, could, this is kind of a cop-out answer because it kind of applies to everyone, but just finding out his story, right? You know, as we discussed before, I do my due diligence when it comes to researching my uh, each former Raptor guest, whoever I interview. And just learning everything about Muggsy, like, you know, when he was, we didn't bring this up in, uh, in the interview, but at the age of five, uh, he got shot with a, with a shotgun. He got, he got shot uh, with a shotgun and like in the arm and um, went through so much adversity as a child. So to see him go from all the struggles that he went through to becoming, you know, the shortest player in NBA history, it's, it was super inspiring. And I I hold these guys in such reverence because these are guys I grew up watching. And the fact that I get to sit down and, you know, interview them, talk to them, it's it's definitely a blessing. What is the process that you embark on to do the crazy research that you're able to do? Because a lot of people always like to know, well, how is it that someone found that out? Or as we were saying before, there's that famous clip of Nardwar interviewing J. Cole with the <laughs> mic just in his face. And he just says, who told you that? Yeah, I I mean, so I guess my thing was in this whole sports media world that we're in, I kind of came up to it by a complete accident. Like I didn't mean to get myself involved in this. It was just kind of like kind of happened. Like Yahoo kind of just fell into my lap. Not 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 really fell into my lap, but basically what happened was, you know, start of the pandemic, um, you know, went through, was going through was going through a breakup and I was trying to figure out, okay, what do I want to do uh, with my life essentially? And for some reason, you know, I've been, I have a background in like acting, performing arts and all that, but something clicked in me where it's like, I don't really love this as much as I originally thought I did, but I still love, you know, creating content and doing YouTube and all this. Stuff. So what can I do to kind of, what's, what's that, what's, what's that in between that I can still fulfill my creative satisfaction. And for for it for me it turned out being um you know interviews and just sitting down with my friends and just having live chats but and i was super inspired by guy like nardwar like you said uh, sean evans from hot ones because I, I i love seeing like you said the reactions from their guests when they're like man how the hell you know that what and then it was one of those things where i was doing that with my friend they weren't expecting it at all they just thought okay you know, he's, he wants to do a podcast. Cool. We'll sit down and talk. So when I kept hitting them all, these are just my friends, by the way. So they can like, they have no reason to stroke my ego or anything like that. They just tell me how it is. So when I'm hitting them with all these questions that they were like, bro, how'd you know this? And I'm just like, it, for me, I was like, oh, this feels good. And then it wasn't until I interviewed uh, Cabby Richards where that was to this day, I'm still trying to chase the high from that interview because he had the best reactions ever in terms of like me coming at him with all of my questions. And it was after that, like I've never felt such a creative high in my life. And I guess, like I said, I've still been chasing that. And I keep trying to chase that with anytime I get like a new guest or someone, um, I guess. So I, uh, to, sorry, that kind of got long winded, but to answer your question, it's just, you know, finding out as the internet is your best friend Let, let's put it that way without me giving up all my secrets and stuff like that. of course of course and 
you you got i guess you learn to be resourceful in terms of uh when you want to study up on whatever you want to study up on and that's i feel like if you're really passionate about something you'll i'm one of those people i have a very like obsessive personality so when i lock in on something and i find something i'm super passionate about i go crazy with it and i'm just like so for example like when i'm interviewing a guest i like i need at least a week or so to just kind of like if i book a guest and sometimes it's a very last minute thing where i have to do all my research in like it's like uh it's like amazon prime i have to do it in the next 48 hours and i'm like okay i gotta like i gotta go crazy with this and there are some nights where i literally did not sleep because i was just up all night putting all my notes together and putting all my questions together um but there's a good um i'll put it this way there's an interview out there i won't say which uh from sean evans like they were interviewing him and he basically gave away all his secrets as to all the research that he does and i kind of took some of that information and then i did some of my own uh additional into uh additional research and supplemental studying from there and then you know that's how i guess how and by no means do i think i'm on the level of nardwar sean evans i'm trying to get to that point um but the way i see it it's like like with yourself you're first off you're 100 episodes in on this box. Yo, congrats. Not I think I saw a percentage where it was like 10% it's like out of all people who start a podcast, uh 10% of people make it to episode 4 and then like 5% of that make it to episode 20 and then 1% of that make it past that. So you're already in that like very very small minority of people who are like going through. So kudos to you. Oh, I appreciate that, man. I appreciate that. And it reminds me of like Duolingo. Like it seems like it's so easy to do but it's also as easy not to do. Mm-hmm. And that's something I've, I've read in the book called the slight edge. Uh, I think it's by Jeff Olson, where he talks mm-hmm. about, he gives tons of stories and examples of the people who end up becoming the most successful are the ones that are able to do the easy thing. That's also easy not to do, but they do it all the time. Yeah. And you just got to remind yourself of that constantly. So when you watch hot ones, or even when you watch Nardwar, and you see the rapport that he can build with these people. Sometimes you think that the methods you would go to find information about people is creepy, but you're like, well, they put it out there. So why not use it? Like maybe some people have an advantage where they know someone personally of the guests yeah. and they can actually do background info that mm-hmm. you would have to have that connection to obtain. But in, in terms of the caveat interview, yeah. what was the question? that got the most memorable reaction in your opinion oh man there there were a lot of them but the biggest one for me i think was um because he wasn't expecting it at all i asked him a question about basically how he how he met his wife and it it, it kind of it caught him so off guard and he ended up telling a story that he had like i got i guess i got the scoop so to speak of how he uh how he proposed to her and you know i'll, I'll let people if if like it's it's still on my YouTube somewhere if people want to find find it out. But basically, uh, it was a funny story that he ended up telling Kawhi Leonard, and he he actually made Kawhi Leonard laugh through that story. And I was just like, whoa, this is like that that's crazy. And that and it was just a reaffirmation for me. It was like, why do I do this? It's to hear it's to hear these stories of these uh, incredible people, and just kind of I find that. A quote that I like to live by that one of my best friends shared me and has been stuck in my head since you're the average of the, of the five people that you spend the most time with. 
And I feel like the more you surround yourselves with like like-minded individuals and people who have achieved so much in their life and you just like hearing their stories and learning from them and taking little bits of wisdom and not like nuggets of just their everything that their experiences, you know, you can apply that to your own life, regardless of if you're in content creation, if you're whatever you're in, you can always apply that and use it to make yourself better. That's such a great quote. And even if people who have heard it more than others think it's beaten to death. Yeah. Cliches exist for a reason. Exactly. That's the reason why they're cliches because people they're tried and true methods. And it's like, why do people always, um, why do people, this is probably a bad example, but why do people run to lose weight? Cause it works. Right. So or people, yeah, the exercise for certain reasons or why, why is it? Yeah. Like you just, there's, there's tons of examples and I've, I found when, when you're talking to guests that you're, you're so right, that euphoric high you get from when someone says, how did you know that? Or even yeah. when they just react to the way that you ask them a question, they've never been asked mm-hmm. and just seeing their eyes open up or seeing that the way that their tone changes is one of the most intrinsically rewarding things I think that content creators like us could feel. One one example that comes to mind that I think is uh, is it's it's actually hilarious because it's related exactly to the question you, you just mentioned. You asked Cabby. I asked Dustin Nielsen, who's the play by play voice of the CFL and TSN. I asked him, "What's your favorite thing about being a dad?" Because I know he's always posting with his kids on Twitter and always yeah. posting like, "Oh, I love them so much," and blah blah blah. And then just the way he opened up, I was like, "Wow!" Like these people are so touched when you ask them about something they genuinely care about and even if it seems tacky on social media or whatever even when i see you tweet about certain obscure little things you think oh no one's watching or oh no one's liking this or no one knows what i'm talking about there's always the chance that there's that one person out there who remembers yep this guy was talking about playing and be alive with seven and my career mode and he was talking about having you know marcus banks on his team like blah 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 i'm gonna ask him about oh well what what was it about like you know, having Marcus Banks or whatever, like just something totally random. And those are the things I think that really just bring the value of, of this, this way of life just to new heights. What I, it's a quote I have on my uh, YouTube as well as my LinkedIn, but uh, people don't always remember what you say, but they'll always remember how you made them feel. And by no, okay, so by no means am I going to start taking credit for like asking all these like questions because I'm sure people, like I said, people have been doing like Nardwash on Evans, they've been doing this from time, but I've noticed at least in sports, in the sports media, at least in the sports media world, like circle that we're here in like with Toronto, I guess, I've noticed that a lot of, uh, a lot of these qu- interviews and questions that people in the bigger networks are asking are becoming a, l- a lot more thoughtful. Like they're, I get it when you're working for a TSN or a sports net, they give you a mint, they give you like, you have to hit on certain points, you have to hit on certain questions, and you only have a certain amount of time to ask and, and, and get these all in. So you don't always have time to ask like the really like deep, insightful questions. But I've noticed that there seems to be this shift that these, it's getting a little bit more personal. And I don't know if it's just because um, uh, TSN and sports net are taking more chances on people who aren't more from the traditional media world, but it, I don't know. It's just, it's just nice to see that the line between the media and the athlete is getting a little less, I, I guess it's getting a little less blurry, so to speak, because one of the things that I've noticed is that a lot of players 
our former players are entering the media now because of that toxic relationship between the media and professional athletes, because they tend to craft their own narrative for these players. And whether it's like a Skip Bayless, Stephen A. Smith, they spew all this negativity. You see it right now happening with Skip Bayless and Russell Westbrook and his family. They're getting tired of all the slander that he's putting towards them, that he's just saying, oh, I'm just calling it how it is. And that's why you see players um, like J.J. Redick uh, starting his own podcast, you know, Matt Mm -hmm. Barnes, Stephen Jackson, then to go back even further, why Kenny Smith, Charles Barkley, Shaquille O'Neal, why they're all on, you know, inside the NBA, because the players are starting to take control of their narratives because they realize, okay, all of these media guys are going to slander us and we don't want to be remembered for this, this, and this. So we're going to tell our stories. And that's why you have so many uh, of these platforms and these former players doing this. And I think the media has noticed, okay, if we don't start to adapt a little bit and stop writing uh, articles and pu- publishing headlines just to get like clickbait or to get attention, even if it, cause like the, sh- the shameful thing is, is that negativity is what fuels clicks for the most part. It's like, Oh, so-and-so did this. I can't believe they did this. But if they take a step back and try to make things more personal and positive, even though it's not less popular, you establish a better relationship with the players. And then ultimately you get those interviews that are more wholesome and um, are more meaningful and impactful. Yeah. And when you talk about the Skip Bayless's and how people consuming the crazy amount of negativity that they spew, it eventually yeah. turns turns itself into just this behemoth that has a life of its own. Mm-hmm. And when people look at, they look for, you know, first take or whatever show that it is you watch for the, all the hot take artists, just remember these people are fallible too. And they're human beings. And even yep. if they were experts or experts in their field, they're still going to say things that are wrong. And yes, they obviously got there from having to know a lot about something in the first place. They're not, they're not just completely clueless, but now they're kind of on autopilot mode. We were talking about this in, yeah. in one of our journalism classes where you look at someone like Stephen A. Is Stephen A. the shining example of what a journalist should be like? Maybe not now, maybe before when he was grinding and had to put in more serious opinion and thought, but Stephen A. and Skip Bayless, when I first saw them, they just went back and forth with the dumbest topics. I'm like, why are these guys doing this? And now it gets to a point where it's so flanderized that you see people actually creating a negative impact on a real person's life is what Russell Westbrook overrated in terms of how good people think he is. Maybe sure. You can debate that, but is it worth actually slandering and threatening the life of a real human being for a game? Like, come on. Yeah. Like it's one of those things where it's like, I get it skips, you know, he, he, everyone's entitled to their own opinion and stuff, but if it's getting to the point where you're essentially gaslighting fans in, 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 uh, I refuse to call it the crypto.com the gaslighting Staple fans in Staples Center. Like, where do you draw the line? Because obviously people, when you have a platform and a voice as big as Skip Bayless, people are going to feed into that. And then if they're going to hurl all of this hatred and negativity towards Westbrook because of, say, something Stephen A is like fueling, like, yo, that's it's not okay, right? At the end of the day, athletes are still humans like they're just doing it on they're just getting paid a lot more and are in the public eye for everyone to see like no 
the, I always, I always equate it to like, let's say, let's say you're a doctor or a lawyer or something like that. Imagine you had someone come into your place of work and being like, you suck at your job. You're not supposed to be like, yo, what? like no one's doing that. So it's like, show. I get it. You know, you pay, you pay a ticket. You can do whatever you want in the arena. Just, there, I, I still think there's a line of, uh, there's still a line that you have to draw when it comes to, you know, heckling just for the spirit of sport and just actually just slandering and essentially like verbally assaulting another human being. And that's why I think it's good that they have players who are starting to get more involved in the media. Like you said, to shift the narrative back into their hands because these behind the scenes segments, uh, like the one with, you know, with Serge Ibaka, right? Like what yeah. he does, like, yeah, you can think of what he does in the court, whatever, but seeing him, how he is in his element and who he is as a person, it really tells a lot of these people more than what you see on the basketball court or even on the baseball field or the soccer pitch, whatever people are amazing at sports, but who they are as a person off the field can be a very different story for better or for worse. And I know that you've had a, some opinions on the way that the broadcast of Serge Ibaka's YouTube content has been shared <laughs> or lack of sharing, I guess I should say. Oh man. I want to touch on that a little bit because you yeah, have yeah. a lot more expertise in the YouTube realm, let's say, than some of the people <laughs> who work actually for real companies. Like what are your thoughts on Serge Ibaka's content and its distribution on YouTube? I got I to gotta, I gotta be a little careful with what I say here. Well, of I don't course, wanna, of course. I don't want to potentially burn any bridges. I know I give them like, here's the thing. I feel like, and I've said this in tweets before, so I'm fine with saying it now, that YouTube and digital media as a whole is going to overtake traditional media networks very soon. Like it's, it's coming. I don't know when it, but it's happening. You can already see it. For example, I think YouTube is like the godfather of all of the streaming videos because it is. Netflix was a DVD uh, subscription service before it became the, the gigantic streaming platform it is now. YouTube pretty much kickstarted that. And then you and then you dive deeper. Now that everything's being streamed, look what happened. The networks are answering back with like, you know, NBC, CBS. They have their own streaming platforms now. And if you ask a majority of people if they watch live TV, most of the time they're probably streaming it on their laptop or they're watching a pre or a recording after the fact. I don't think it's going to be that much longer before everything is consumed digitally. Now you even see it with um, the movie theater experience. I think that like the art of watching a movie in the theaters and the cinema, I think it's dying because you see it ever since. And the pandemic really kicked that into gear because now that companies are realizing that you can easily distribute your content on like say Netflix or Hulu or whatever digital platform it's on, they're saving all those big blockbuster releases for, you know, the Spider-Mans, the Batmans of the world. Cause these are like those sees, these are those films that you have to see like in theaters as compared to, you know, just out of out, off the top of my head, Tick, Tick, Boom, which was like a musical with Andrew Garfield. Mm-hmm. Um, that was like released uh, primarily through distrib- on Netflix. And my biggest gripe I find with, broadcasters now is that they're not fully optimizing for YouTube as well as they should. Like in my opinion, I think 
TSN, ESPN does it really well because ESPN realizes that the majority of the people who watch their channel, at least from what I've seen, it's mostly basketball, like basketball is number one. And then it's football. That's why you see so many ESPN videos of like, uh, Stephen A and whoever, whether it be Kendrick Perkins, Max Kellerman, they're always usually talking about basketball first or football next because that's what their demographic watches. And then you, but but then if you look at the YouTube channel, like say TSN or Sportsnet, it's kind of you don't really know what their focus is because I don't think they know who their audience is based off of looking at. I think I do. I think it's mostly hockey watchers who are watching their content because if you look at TSN and Sportsnet, just looking at their YouTube the majority of their views are going towards like hockey highlights and everything like that. But the thing is that they're trying to do too much when it's like, Oh, they're posting basketball doing this, doing that. The pro the thing with YouTube right now is you have to, in order to grow and thrive, you have to have a specific niche of, of content. Mm-hmm. The, the way I see it is YouTube is ultimately, well, it's not even ultimately. It is considered the biggest search engine in the world in terms of uh, the internet. They're like bigger than Google. That's why Google bought it. So if you go onto YouTube and you look up, like say, um, highlights for a basketball game or whatever, top result will probably be coming for you the NBA because well, it's the NBA, right? Mm-hmm. But if you want that more local coverage from you know TSNs or sports nets, if their focus is all over the place, I get it, it's a sports network. But it's not going to come up on the feeds as much because of the channels like ESPN, NBA, whose primary focus is basketball, right? So if anyone at TSN Sports that's listening to this, I think, you know, I think you should look into your analytics and figure out which which of your subscribers are tuning, what, tuning into which content. Because I see it. Now I don't watch a whole lot of other Raptors content and stuff like that, but from what I've seen and I've tuned into it, so it's like, for example, uh, you know, the Raptor show with Will Lou and Alex Wong, they should be getting way more viewers than they really should be. The problem is the what the way that Sportsnet distributes it, it's not optimized for them to get that massive attention. Cause you have to say, I always try to set it as the benchmark of how many subscribers do, do the Toronto Raptors have? They have about, I think, a little bit over 100,000. So if you're making Toronto Raptors content, ideally, you're going to have to, if you, in terms of subscribers and views, you're probably not going to surpass the actual Raptors channel if you're, if you're making strictly Raptors content. Because if anyone's looking for Raptors content on YouTube, they're going to go straight to the Raptors page. You know, they're mm-hmm. going to go open gym interviews because, you know, they'll have that. But if you want to make, but, if you have a different kind of style of content, that's why I always say this is getting a little bit long-winded, but if, if you're in a space where it's very competitive, like there's so many, and you know, this might not make me very popular, but I think a lot of Raptors content on YouTube is garbage. Cause it's a lot of these guys who are just pretty much, they say their takes and they think they're Stephen A or whoever. And it's just like, there's no substance to it. It's like, yeah, you're repeating stuff that if I wanted to watch, if I wanted to hear someone's take on the Raptors, I'd listen to someone big, more established, like say, you know, Blake Murphy or like Willu or whoever. Why, why should I consume your content as opposed to that? So you always have to have something that sets you apart from the rest. And I always have to also acknowledge that depending on what your niche is, you have to understand who like the big, the big, 
the big uh, the big cats in your niche are, and you have to level your expectations. Where I'm not saying you could potentially surpass it, but if you want to get into like say YouTube terms, like Mr. Beast, he's known for like you know giving away lots of money uh, and putting on these big spectacles. He has 90 million subscribers on just his main channel, over 200 million on all of his other channels. So if you want to make that kind of content, yeah, there's an audience for it. Just know that unless you're going bigger and better than, you know, the Godfather, Mr. Beast himself, you're only going to get like a fraction of those subscribers, which is fine. It all depends on like what your goals are for YouTube. But to, uh, I guess to wrap this up a little bit, I think if TSN and Sportsnet focused more on what their audience consumes, and kind of like hones in on that and finds more of a focus, I think they'd see a lot more success on YouTube. Like I said, if any of y'all reps at TSN or Sports are, are listening to this, I can guarantee y'all right now, give me 30 days, give me raise of your YouTube, I'll, 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 I'll blow your analytics up. Trust me. You heard it here first, folks. And I think, I, I will say the thing I think they do really well at TSN is hockey content. And you can see yes. it's bar down, like bar, bar down. Bar down, exactly. It's been so successful because... You know, Dave Crickst, who's a genius when it comes to digital media, realized, yep. okay, what is it people want to watch? How is this medium evolving? How can I bring it to them rather than making them watch traditional TV? But obviously, you don't have, there's no like, you know, bank shot or, or uh, end one for basketball. There's no like, you know, touchdown or something, whatever for football, because hockey is the thing that people watch, which is fine. You don't need to go and cater to every single sport in equal amount, because obviously people in Canada watch way more hockey content on YouTube, especially through TSN and Sportsnet, than they do basketball or football. And we've had people come to our classes and talk about in Sportsnet, you know, for example, they're not a property rights holder of the CFL. So mm-hmm. The, T- the organization that's going to post the most about them is TSN or Sportsnet's mainly about hockey. So they're going to post about hockey more than anything else because they made the deal with the NHL. And TSN has barred down to talk about the NHL and the quirkiness and the and bring out the unique personalities of the people who run the, run the channel rather than say, well, we're going to give our takes on, on uh, the current NHL news and hope, but we just shout louder than Sportsnet because that's not going to work. Because whoever's the most established, it's people being lazy with marketing. Okay, Coke or Pepsi? Those are my options. Well, no, there's this. No, 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 no. It's Coke or Pepsi because those are the only two ones that people actually are going to stop to to analyze. Right? Yeah. Same like Coke and Pepsi is Sportsnet and TSN, literally with the colors as well. Like the score was <laughs> the little engine that could, and obviously produced the great likes of Cabby, Tim, Sid. Mm-hmm. You know, the list goes on. But then eventually they became, you know, Cabby's now a Sportsnet, so he basically became consumed by Coke or Pepsi, and he had to actually did work for TSN as well, so he was a part of both. But if you were creating content, okay, so then let me ask you this: Yeah, if you were running the YouTube channel for TSN or Sportsnet about mm-hmm. basketball or just in general, what what high level things would you do rather than get it before we get into the nitty gritty yeah, or get lost good. in the weeds? Yeah, how would you but- promote basketball content? Or even more specifically, if you'd like to take this up instead, how would you get the viewership up for uh, the like Will Lou and Alex Wong's show? Yeah, that's a that's a great question. Um, first of all, I by no means do I claim to be like an expert at all this YouTube yeah. and, and stuff like that because you know at the end of the day, I'm sure that I'm sure the you know they're going to do what's best for business for them whatever because I don't know the, all the business behind that because I'm sure it has to be a reason why. Um, but if I were 
if I were any of those, I would focus in on what, what, like I said, what their, what their viewers are getting the most out of. So for example, with TSN and with TSN, I've noticed that the majority of their views are going towards their bar down content when it's not related to like, you know, sports pilots and stuff like that. Cause you see, they do, they do stuff like, you know, the NHL quizzes for whatever reason, those videos do so well. And I think it's because of the personalities behind them, because at the end of the day, what makes YouTube such an elite platform is the parasocial relationships that are developed between the audience and the channel or the, whoever's behind the channel. That's why it's so important to have like kind of a face behind the brand. Obviously it's harder to do with um, a network because when there's a lot of different moving parts to it, but yeah, like I said, notice how with bar down and their quizzes and all that kind of, those get the more views because people have gravitated towards these personalities. They built that kind of parasocial relationship with them. And with Sportsnet, it's a little bit trickier because with TSN, I think it's very clear cut. Their, their focus is primarily hockey. Sportsnet, it's a little bit all over the. It's primarily hockey, but as of this season, you know they they they've shown it. They've started to invest more into basketball. That's why they gave Will and Alex their own show, and why they're doing all the all of this different stuff. But I think it all depends on you know the identity they want to establish for themselves. Because I think like, you know, not to toot my own horn, uh, toot Yahoo's own horn or whatever here, but Yahoo Sports Canada has done a very, very good job as establishing their platform as like a Raptors basketball hub because all because of all the success they saw in the past in creating content. Because whenever people, whoever subscribed to Yahoo Sports Canada, they can expect uh, primarily Raptors basketball content. Um, and I'm pretty sure I'm not entirely sure. I think they have a separate channel for like hockey and stuff like that. So if they really want to grow, I get it. If you have a one general main channel, that's good. Cause you'll have, that'll probably have the most subscribers and, and views and whatnot. But if you have, I feel like a more niche down. So if like, say TSN and Sportsnet expanded to like, okay, this is, this is our channel for basketball. This is our channel for hockey. did all that. I think they would see a, a little bit better because the problem with YouTube's algorithm is, is that a lot of it is based on the viewer metric of watch time and session time. So how that works is say, uh, for example, um, with like, say with your podcast, right? I go on and I watch an entire episode and I was like, Oh, that was great. Uh, I'm going to watch another, the more that, that increases your session time and be, that increases your session because I'm consuming so much of your content that sends a message to YouTube saying, Oh, uh, this content's really popular. People are staying on YouTube for a longer amount of time, uh, to consume this content. So we're going to push it to our homepage for other people to see. And then that starts a snowball effect of like, okay, uh, this content's really popular. People are watching it. And that's how channels ultimately grow in the YouTube algorithm and how videos get a lot of views because, YouTube is pushing that videos that people want to watch. So if you're putting out content that gets, if you're putting out content that is all over the place in terms of your audience, where it's like, okay, people are coming for the hockey uh, videos and it's, it's getting like, you know, hundred thousand, a million views, but then you put out something like, a, you know, an NFL or a CFL video when your primary audience is hockey, they're not going to click on that video. And that's going to ruin your watch time because people are coming in expecting hockey. And we were talking about this earlier. That's how I kind of like tanked my own YouTube channel, uh, so to speak, because 
I was putting out sports card content for a period of time. And that was like what was making me popular. So then when I made the shift and I was like, okay, I want to go back into, you know, I'm kind of tired of this. I want to make like Raptors basketball content. My views were suck. They were, they, they were, they were sh- like, can I swear? On yeah, this? go for it. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah like, they were shitty. And I, that's when I realized I had to recalibrate my strategy in terms of what I was doing. And then, you know, eventually again, it's nothing, but I put out a video about Thaddeus Young and it hit like 10,000 views, you know, in the first, in like the first 10 out 12 hours, which obviously it's no, not viral by any means, but when you have a niche content, if you have something as niche as that, and like, let's be real here. I love Thaddeus Young, but not everyone's going to be looking for Thaddeus Young on YouTube the same way they're going to be looking for, say, LeBron James, right? Only weirdos like us would obsess over the Thaddeus Youngs of the world. Exactly, exactly. And by knowing your audience, you're like, okay, Raptors fans are going to be looking for, oh, Thaddeus Young got traded to the Raptors. Okay, who is this Thaddeus Young guy? We want to look up. That's why I made a video like really quickly because it was trending. And then boom, I got like, you know, I don't know if it was the most viewed video about Thaddeus Young Raptors related at the time. I think it might have been. But that just goes to show that you have to really know your audience. If to succeed on YouTube, first off, make the best videos possible, but also really know your audience and cater to them because if they're happy, it makes YouTube happy. And if, it, if YouTube's happy, they'll push your videos. On a more specific note related to the Raptors, you're talking about like Thaddeus Young, for example. We were mentioning before we started recording that we could list the entire Rolodex of all the obscure players or what would seem obscure to current Raptors fans or bandwagon jumpers, all the players we remember who weren't in the spotlight between the mid-2000s to late-2000s. And now when Raptors fans want to solely follow the team and dive headfirst into it and have a reason to because they're good, then that's what brings back to life the Thaddeus Youngs and the Malachi Flynn's of the world because, yeah, maybe they're not bonafide starters, but the fact that they're now on a team that you follow and you're in love with, it makes them way more interesting. So because they have that success, it allows for the foundation to reel in more people to the, the, fur, the further corners of the team rather than before. It's like, oh, well, I just like Chris Bosh or people that love teams solely based on one player. Classic example, LeBron James fans, right? Wherever LeBron goes, they go. That's it. They don't, they stay invest in people who are on the team once he's there for a, a while, but yeah. And so you take advantage of that and you see the results. So now with the content that you're creating, what is then the main point of your strategy when it comes to trying to get views or trying to create the most entertaining videos possible? That's a great question because I'm still trying to figure that out (laughs) because like, I do want to make like Raptors and basketball for sure. But at the same time, my goal is like, you know, and I think people will get mad at this. People will get people who are like are in rap media. So they're going to hate me for what I'm about to say. But like I said, I kind of fell into this by accident and I love it. And I love what all the opportunities has got me, but I don't see it as my ultimate end game. Like I don't want to be, I don't want to be like Will Lou. I don't want to be like Stephen A. I don't want to be like any of these guys in terms of the sports media world. I kind of want to do my own thing in terms, and I'm still trying to figure what that is. I don't know if it's necessarily in sports media, but I do know is that I love creating content. Um, I love the Raptors. I love basketball. So it's just a matter of kind of, and I want to, you know, make an impact and tell stories on like a grandest scale possible. And I know that if I limit it to just, you know, Raptors, I'm kind of limiting myself. Cause like I said before, you know, if you're making content specifically about the Raptors, look at how many subscribers say like the Raptors channel ha- has itself 
you're probably going to get maybe a fraction of that at peak. But if you're making content about, say, basketball and the NBA as a whole, now your audience opens up a lot more because now you'll see, I don't know how much of these like YouTubers you, you follow, but like, say like, you know, the Kenny Beachums, the Mike Corzembas. Mike Corzemba like, all, classic. Yeah, exactly. You see these guys, they built these huge audience just making basketball content. And, you know, quite frankly, there's a reason why, first off, there's a reason why people, why uh, content creator, social media influencer is like one of the most uh, sought after uh, prof- is the most sought after procession by like, uh, millennials and Gen Z now because obviously it's the fame and everything like that. But yo, the money that you can make from YouTube, like these guys are making some some nice money that some of the bees, yeah, you'll have the that the traditional media networks they might not be able to swing you. So it's all about that's why I keep saying that I think if you want to succeed as an independent content creator and creating content, you'll stick with YouTube. Start go with YouTube. Cause I feel like that's the money that's where it's still, there's still a lot more room. I don't think YouTube has reached. It's like, it's height yet. It seems like it. Cause it keeps growing and growing. But I don't think it's there yet. Another thing I, another thing I love to bring up is like TikTok. TikTok is probably the most popular uh, social media platform right now. The only thing I have my gripes with TikTok though, is, is that it's all short form content. So the hardest thing about that is if you're building an audience on TikTok of say, a million, say you have a million followers on TikTok or TikTok. Uh, say you have a million followers on TikTok. You won't necessarily be able to migrate all of them over to YouTube because it's a totally different ball game. This is short form content. And that's why I think, and that's why I think TikTok is trying to roll the dice on expanding their uh, length, uh, video length down to 10 minutes, which mm-hmm. it'll be interesting to see how that goes. I don't think it's going to go too well for them. But at the end of the day, there's a reason why all the big TikTokers, like, you know, the Charlie D'Amelio's, the uh, Addison Ray's, the Bryce Hall's, there's a reason why they are are moving over to YouTube because that's where the money is. And that's where you can really, really grow your audience. But I think we're in the best time when it comes to be, if you want to be a content creator, today's like the, it's the golden era right now, because there's literally people on YouTube making, you know, making full-time incomes and, you know, providing for their families and living off of just creating videos and you could be literally creating videos as long as you know your audience and what you're passionate and what you're passionate about. There's an audience for everything. Some, there's some channels where all of they're doing is like how to's on building boats or um, you know, like just, I, just ra- the most random stuff you could think of. There's an audience for, and if you hone in on that audience, you can literally like make a living out of it and make it your full-time career. But as long as you're passionate about it. And it's not like you have to be making a million billion dollars. Obviously, there's nope. so many Mr. Beasts that exist out there. Mm-hmm. And wh- even when you're talking about the way that you have strategized your content, one of the things that I've heard or have seen people talk about when growing empires, or if that's one of your goals, is when you start specific and then you start to grow into the general yes. game. Because I think that one of the things that people get lost in, and I'm sure you've experienced this or at least know people who have experienced it is, When people say, well, I want to make videos about the NBA. Well, great. But it's like, how many people make videos about the NBA? Someone's going to take one look at your channel and see Mike Corzamba and be like, dude, I don't know who the hell you are unless you're my friend. And even sometimes, or most of the times, if they're your friend, they still probably would rather watch Mike Corzamba. Because until you are Mike Corzamba, even if you're there, even if that's your friend, they're still gravitating towards the more popular name brand because it's easier. It's, It's more convenient, right? The expedience 
the desire for expedience in consuming content is at an extreme all-time high, and I don't think it'll ever stop. You you hit the nail completely on the head right there because, like you said, if you're just an up-and-comer, you know, my biggest thing is how are you providing value to your audience, right? And how are you setting us up? It's okay. Like if you want to make content like Mr. Beast or Microsoft, that's fine. It's okay to be inspired by one of my favorite quotes of all time is good artists copy, but great artists steal. So if you're just straight up knocking off, like, I don't want to like attack any, there's so many Mr. Beast knockoffs on YouTube where it's like, why would I watch? Yeah. Congrats. They're doing well for themselves because like that spectacle content is what's hot right now. But when that dies down, like, because I don't know how into YouTube you are, but YouTube's gone in phases. There was that era of, like, it was all pranksters, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. There's an era of pranksters. And then, like, you know, the Fousey tubes, the Vitalis, like, those were on top, the Roman Atwoods. And then what happened? It migrated over to vlogs. Casey Neistat, you know, the Peter McKinnons, the Sam Colders. These were the guys who, like, kind of started taking over the lamp. And I'm a Chamberlain. And then everyone became a vlogger. And then if you were a vlogger, you know, that's how you, that's how you grew. And then now we're in the Mr. Beast era. We have Mr. Beast, uh, guys like Eric, Ryan Trahan, all of these guys who are making these like big, quick uh, spectacle content uh, type videos. So if you're trying to capitalize on that, that's great. But what sets you apart from, say, a Mr. Beast? Uh, what sets you apart from Casey Neistat? Yeah, you're inspired by them, but you have to take you have to take inspiration from your favorite creators well you have to add your own voice right you have to be authentic to yourself because i feel like so many people they try to just rip off of these popular creators and they don't inject any of their personality or bring anything new to the table right so if you want to my biggest advice and again this is something i'm still trying to figure out for myself because by no means am i an established creator for all i think i will be i i have a feel like i have my game plan and i have the drive and everything where it's like yo that youtube uh play button I'm going to be hanging that shit on my wall real soon. Maybe not like in the next, um, in the next like week or so, but like, we'll see, we'll see what happens. Of course, of course, of course. <laughs> yeah. Um, but that's the biggest thing. Like what you were saying, um, find a niche and like narrow down on that and like be really good at that thing. And once you start building an audience, that's when you can get a little bit more broad and expand because once you have an established audience and like people who are like ride or die for you. And that's the thing with like, influencer fan bases and, or, and and communities and all like that and i'm sure you've seen it like if people become a fan of you through like youtubers i think yo they ride with you till the end and those guys will help bring your content up and like once you it's like a, it's like a domino effect right once you get the it, it, it kind of happened with me like last or two uh last year where you know started out with like zero subscribers and i made a bet with myself i was like okay Put it out into the universe. I'm gonna get a thousand subscribers, a thousand subscribers by the end of the month. I did it, and I was feeling real nice. And then I halted all the momentum because I was like, eh, I don't like making card content anymore. And then you know, back to square one. And I feel like even though I have like a small amount of subscribers, I feel like I'm starting from zero again. Um, but that's the biggest. The, that's the biggest thing is you have to niche down, and then once you start building an audience of people who will consume your content, then you can start expanding it to other genres and niches because. You look at Mr. Beast, he was trying to throw so much different stuff at the wall to stick. He was making like Call of Duty and Minecraft videos when he first started out. He had no idea what the hell he's doing, but through trial and error and trying to figure out what works, he found his thing, which was the most absurd thing where he literally made a video of him counting to 100,000. And that's what blew him up. And he's like, oh, okay, people like watching this like weird, like crazy, uh, extreme stuff, like spectacles, like as I was saying earlier. 
Then he translated to, oh, I'm going to give $10,000 to a homeless person. And then eventually, next thing you know, this guy is giving away like a million dollars. He's giving away a private island and stuff because it's just like he experimented with the formula and he just co- built on it, go bigger and bigger. And that's what I'm saying. And I guess to end this off, to end this, like, I guess, question off with is like, like what you were saying, you don't need a million subscribers. You don't need like millions and millions of views. You don't need all that to be con- to make this a full-time thing. There's a, th- I forget who I always, I should find out who actually made this theory or quote or whatever. It's the concept of a thousand true fans where if you have a thousand people who are like, no matter what, no matter what content you put out, no matter what merch, no matter what, um, anything you put out there, they consume, they buy, they sell, you can make a living off of that. But in order to get that loyalty, you have to provide them with value. So if we're talking about YouTube, if you want to be, say, um, a guy who specializes in um, vinyl records, this is random, just random thought, like you want to be an expert in vinyl records and what people want to buy in terms of like their vinyls. um, You show that in the Conte offer. It's like, okay here's a better example like marquez brownlee he's become like the biggest tech youtuber on youtube so whenever people are like oh what cell phone should i buy or you know what computer should i first guy they go to they're not going to go to your random joe schmoes and stuff they're going to go to marquez brownlee because he established himself as the voice as the name into that niche of and now he's become the voice where obviously he has like 15 million subscribers but if you become if you take a niche and become like the person of that niche like you're the guy of that niche people will People will flock to you. The actual here's here's a better example. A sports card investor is the biggest like sports card channel on YouTube. Great guy, Jeff's a nice guy. Um, he took that niche. No one was making content about sports cards really to the scale to a huge scale until he came in and started doing it. And now he turned uh, him literally just making videos in front of a camera in his bedroom into a whole business where he has a whole staff and has a studio office, has his own affiliate uh, marketing uh, and everything has his own products that he puts out. Like that's all it takes. And you can really make this a full-time thing. It's crazy. Sometimes the opportunities for growth that people can't see right in front of them. And even when you're starting a, a content creation journey, it sounds or, and seems scary at times where people sit there and wonder, well, the imposter syndrome kicks in, or I don't want to act like I think I'm better than other people. But the truth is who, who out there is truly an expert that everything they say is, is infallible. And everything they say is, is the word of God, basically like every person can make mistakes and just the people that are willing to put their head down and be determined and say, I'm going to get a thousand subscribers in a month, or I'm going to have five YouTube play buttons hanging in my house in the next year. Those are the people who also strategize and don't just say it are the ones that are going to get there. And so that's why I, th- I thought that you'd be someone who's super amazing to talk to because with how determined you are and you don't have like a hundred thousand subscribers on Twitter or you know, followers on Twitter, you don't have like 20 million subscribers on YouTube or whatever, but you're so driven with everything you've done with the Raptors content, with even the people you've interviewed, right? Like, People would, I'm sure people have said to you like, man, how did you interview Jerome Williams? Or how did you interview like Gary Trent senior? Like, that's insane. And what happens is people talk with you or your friends, remember you from high school or university or whatever, and you joke, but then you get to a point where someone just kind of loses touch or they're not really following into what you do. And then once they see that big name, then that's when they start running back. And that's when they start like paying attention. And it is an unfortunate reality of 
when you get the attention of people, that's only when they want to associate with you because of something crazy you've done. But the most satisfying part is when you look internally and see, wow, look at everything that I did day to day and look at all the struggles I had to endure that not really many people saw, like you mentioned with this, finding out the story of Muggsy Bogues, or even I'm sure with Jerome Williams or Gary Trent Sr., learning about the stories of these people is like a macrocosm for the journey that you are then on while interviewing them to get you to where you want to get to, you are learning about your journey through the eyes of these people. I think that's such a fascinating thing. And yeah, man. That, and that's the biggest thing is, and I'll admit, I get guilty of it all the time where it's like, you get, you get lost in the sauce a bit, right? You do something cool and you're like, yeah, man. like here's, here's the thing. When I got the Yahoo gig, when first got it, I remember I just put out a funny little photo. I photoshopped it. You know, that whole, um, um, when, when, you know, that meme of like Kevin Durant, when he signed with the Warriors, yeah, yeah, and it's like, like my the my next chapter. And then anytime, yeah, yeah, yeah. anytime KD loses to a team, people like make that meme and put it. In. So I just did that, and I put like Yahoo's logo on it. That was like me announcing my uh, oh, I signed, yeah. And yo, what's crazy? Uh, I just thought it was a funny thing. No one really cares what I'm doing. Whatever the amount of people who are like, yo, congrats, that's so big, that's so huge, and like, you know, you, you know, that pumps here you go. But you, people, you know, we're humans. We love that validation. But the thing is, is that like what you were saying, once you kind of like, you know, kind of lock in and not everything is going to be, you're going to reach these highs of highs and people like to, the the unfortunate truth is people like to capitalize on that. They try to take advantage of like your success, right? They see you're up high, like, oh, sweet. This guy's doing something big. And I hope maybe like, you know, we can work together and he can whatever, right? Because and it's something I've unfortunately had to learn, I guess, almost the hard way where so many people were in my DMs and wanted to connect with me when I first got the Yahoo gig and were like, hey, yo, man, let's work together. Let's do this up. And I was like, oh, cool. Like, this is cool. I have a lot of different networks that have opened doors have opened up. But the moment it's like, oh, I'm not on the forefront of everything. And it's like I kind of like, you know, got got accustomed to what my role was. All these people were like, OK, they they become quiet. Right. And it isn't until you do your next big thing where they come back and it's like, oh man, congrats. It's so cool. Like seeing all this stuff. And I have what you would call, <laughs> I like to call it a Kanye complex where it's like, like, like the way I see it is like, I, I try to be my most self-aware and like try to stay as humble as possible. But there are times where I just can't help it, but be like, like I said, I'm throw it out there. I'm going to get a thousand subscribers in a month. Oh, I'm going to get a YouTube play. I, I, I throw it out there. And sometimes I get so sometimes that's just me. That's just my personality. I'm like, I'm a, I, I can be a little bit of a loud mouth. I'm a little bit extroverted. I can be a little bit full of myself. Yes. But at the end of the day, you have to keep your head down and just do the work, you know? And that's what I always tried myself to do. Cause anytime I put something out into the universe, I always, I always remind myself, okay, you put it out there. Now, now you have to put your head down and like, you know, just like stay, um, stay focused because now that you've said what you've had to say and people are like, Oh, you're either going to go down like an idiot and be like, Oh, like not that anyone will care. Or you go down as like, damn, this guy called this guy pulled a Kobe Bryant. No, this guy pulled like a Steph Curry. And he was like, he's like, all right, I'm going to shoot from half. Yep. He's going, I already know what's going to go in. He doesn't even look at it. Right. The big, yeah. So you can't get too caught up in all of your current success. Like, the, the most important part is not your end goal or the end destination is enjoying the process and enjoying the journey of like creating content or whatever it is that you're trying to achieve in your life. Because if you're doing it for 
like if you have an ulterior motive it's like oh i want to do this to get to this you're gonna fall a little short because you're not embracing the the process comes with like you know the struggles and all the all the bs that comes with it in terms of like okay it's not always gonna go your way you're gonna have some ups and downs um but you just gotta stay locked in and always i guess know what your north star is in terms of okay i want to accomplish this why do i want to do that okay i have to do this this and this and you have to set like you know your roadmap towards that so i don't know if that i don't know if that kind of makes sense because i i my bad i i I tend to go on these like tangents and rants uh when i when i talk about like this stuff but no man it it does make sense and it it always makes more sense too once you've actually done even just a fraction of what you're saying you're talking about yeah humans like having their ego stroked, but at the same time, they also can't be too full of themselves because then that creates a down cause their downfall, but then they can't be too imposter syndrome because then they don't get anywhere. So you have to strike that balance. And people always talk about in the world of sports media specifically, how do you find work-life balance? It's like, if you know, you, I'm sure you know who Tim Grover is. Yeah. Oh, yo, yo. Uh, I have relentless, relentless on my shelf. That's one of my favorite books of all time. Such a great book. So yeah. I, 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 I really want to read winning. That's that the next one I really want to get. Are down you, are, do you consider yourself a cleaner? I would say, I can, I would say that I gravitate towards the cleaner mentality. Maybe yeah. not with every single thing in your life to a point yeah. where you're psychotic and you're just like, you're Michael Jordan doing the dishes or something. But I think that it's admirable to do. <laughs> And would every person in the world want to be exactly like Kobe Bryant or Michael Jordan? Not necessarily. They're inspirational, but to be a, a, a meta, you know, a photocopy of them, is not necessarily a, a life goal, I don't think. But I think the thing that is, is important to take away from being a cleaner is, and, uh, and more specifically, the example I was going to give with Tim Grover is this. He talks about work-life balance. And, he, and this is, this is the, the famous little spiel he gives. He says, who here wants to be successful? And it usually says it's a group of people. So everyone raises their hand. Who here wants, uh, wants uh, happiness? And people raise their hand. Or who here wants to be in shape? And people raise their, everyone raises their hand. And then what he ends up asking is, you know, what is the number on a scale that is perfectly balanced? You know, and people say zero. So it's like, you know, and who wants a zero life? Nobody, right? Like everyone wants happiness. Everyone wants success and greatness and blah, blah, blah. And nobody wants zero happiness. Nobody wants zero friends. Nobody wants zero this, zero that. But the number on a perfectly balanced scale is zero. So the point he's trying to make is when you achieve perfect balance, you're not getting you're not going to be able to get the best out of what it is you want. You're not going to be able to get the the high aspiration goal that you're set out, you're setting out to achieve. And so when it comes to, let's say you want a, a YouTube play button, like you, you want a million subscribers or something. Well, you're not going to be able to eat perfectly healthy and sleep eight hours a night minimum, you know, from the time you're unconscious to the time that you arise and actually get out of bed you're not going to be able to go to the gym four times a week and do a 55 minute workout and a 20 minute warm up and 10 minute cool down. And like, it's not going to be like, according to a schedule that's very strict and precise because you're going to go crazy. You're going to have to bend the rules 
And there's so many things that he says are amazing, or people think that there's 10 quick steps to success. It's like, he's like, there's no 10 steps. There's no staircase. You're going to have to learn how to find the next step, even when it's not even in front of you. And there's a million things I could say about the great wisdom of Tim Grover, but all you need to do is just even follow him on Instagram. You don't need to read his book. Just watch the reels he posts and you will see very quickly what it is he's talking about. If you don't understand it, then maybe you haven't pushed yourself far enough yet. Like it's the reason why he was able to be successful with Michael Jordan and Kobe Bryant and Dwayne Wade, like three bonafide hall of famers some of the greatest basketball players to have ever lived on this earth is because of the fact that he understood when you're trying to achieve what you want to achieve, Ben, you can't have, you know, perfect balance. It doesn't exist. It it doesn't. You're going to have to make so many different kinds of sacrifices. And that's one of those things where you have to fight. I don't think there's such thing as a perfect balance. There's, but there's a, balance that's perfect to you exactly that's the point he does make yeah exactly yeah that's yourself it's not about what is perfect by the norm mm -hmm. because that was that that was something i was struggling with for a while because you know as you can see i'm inspired by kobe and (laughs) there was a brief period in time where i tried to like full-on embrace mama mentality where i was like i was up at 5 a.m every morning to get my workout and do my work it gets to the point where, yo, this is like, I'm not Kobe Bryant. And with Kobe, he it was kind of for him, he was locked in on basketball. But, you know, not everyone is phoned in on one thing where it's like, I can't be like creating content 24-7. You got to have that kind of like own balance for other things where it's like, you know, I don't want to just create content. You know, I want to make money. I want to have like social relationships. I want to get in shape. I want to do all this like different things. But you kind of have to look at it as like a Maslow's hierarchy of needs uh, scenario where okay what do you value most and then from there you distribute your time and effort accordingly because if you try to like hone in on everything and try to find that perfect balance you're going to burn out and it's you're going to end up trying to do so many things and try to put your effort 100 effort into everything that you end up burning out and putting in nothing right because it's too much so that's exactly it man like like tim grover says right who wants zero friends zero happiness zero this zero that oh perfect the number on the perfect balance scale is zero. So if you try to achieve that, you're going to get nothing out of it, mm-hmm. which it's such a powerful analogy, but it's true, right? Like you got to choose one thing. You got to stick to it. You're going to have to make sacrifices in other realms, but once the sacrifices, you know, are made and you are able to, to produce or to achieve that goal, then you realize the sacrifice was so worth it. And then you don't feel so bad about making that sacrifice. hundred percent, hundred percent. So Ben, we are getting towards the, the end of our time on today's episode. So I want to have a rapid fire round and ask some fun, a, little, a few more fun questions before we part for today's episode. Hey man, let's do it. I appreciate you again. Appreciate you having me on. This has been fun. You're over a hundred episodes in keep grinding. You're killing it with this and uh, yeah, keep, keep, keep uh, being relentless. Oh, absolutely, man. That's, that's how we do it around here. <laughs> so the first question I have for you is what is the most memorable loss that you watched for the Raptors one that was super exciting or it was just it it obviously sucked in the end because losing sucks but the one that just sticks out in your mind the most man so the one that pisses me off to this day and just leaves a sour taste in my mouth was okay to preface this when Vince Carter got traded, that whole ordeal, when that happened, that felt like the first time I ever had my heart broken, I feel like. 
Like that felt like the worst breakup of all time. And I remember as a kid, I didn't fully understand what was going on, but it was enough for me to cry about it and be like, why did he get traded? Why did he do this? How could he turn his back on whatever? There was the one game when he came back to Toronto and there, he had an exchange with Mo Pete where they were just playfully, like he playfully slapped him and then Mo Pete slapped him back. And then Mo Pete got ejected. And then Vince was just like, I didn't do shit. Like, just like, and Mo Pete was so pissed. I was like, that, that bastard. Like he just, he let him get away with that. And I'm pretty sure that same game, that's when, um, oh, I still remember the sequence to this day where Jose Calderon is at the free throw line. Misses his free throw. Nets get it back. Jason Kidd runs down the floor, gets the ball to Carter, hits the three, wins the game. And I remember just being like, I remember watching that as a kid. I can, I remember not, I felt so low because it was just like the guy, he broke it. Not only did he leave us, but he comes back and he just takes a giant, giant machete and just plunges it into the heart. So that was probably the most memorable loss. Uh, because the Raptors game. So, I thought you were when you started talking about Carter coming back to Toronto. I thought you were going to talk about the wondering the, I think it was 0809 season where they went to double OT and Carter hit the three to tie the game. Or no, I think it was just regular OT or double OT, but he hit the three to tie the game when they lost 129 127 over Calderon. And then in double OT, gets the inbound on the alley oop, the dunk, dunk yeah, reverse yeah. dunk, and just Matt Delling goes, Carter. Like, I was like, oh, Matt, that to me was like, I could never see that ever again. That was just whole. Oh my goodness. That one was rough too. That one. I remember that. Honestly, I'm pretty sure I used to have a slam magazine subscription. I remember opening it and that was the poster for that magazine. I was like, get out of here. I remember just chucking it and be like, I don't want to see this. No, I could never see that again. (laughs) What is your favorite basketball movie of all time? Coach Carter. I'm not going to debate with you there. I would have to hundred percent agree. What do you think is the most overrated sports movie of all time? Oh, 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 man. Overrated. Okay. Oh. Uh, damn. Okay. I think you stumped me because there's so many good ones, but, uh, oh, what's it called? It's, um, Oh, it's on the tip of my tongue. Um, shoot. How am I? How am I missing this one? It's a. Uh... Oh, you know what? Oh, just for the sake, because I can't remember. I can't remember this. There's one I have on the tip of my mind. If I if I remember it, I'll freaking like I'll message you and be like, "Yo, it was this." But for the sake of argument and to not run up the clock too much, I'll say Airbud. Yeah, yeah, that's 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 fair. Like it, maybe it seems like classic for kids, but yeah, like it's it doesn't stand the, the test of Coach Carter's The Friday Night Lights of the World by any means. I that that's you know what I feel like we have the same taste in movies because in terms of like sports movies, like Coach Carter, Friday Night Lights, those are like I think one and two when it comes to sports movies for me. Yeah, I would. The reason why I say Friday Night Lights is because people always talk about the show and the drama and the high schooliness of it. I'm like, no, 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 no. Like the real elements of the way that they played football and the focus on the sport is what makes it a powerful story. Mm-hmm. And the realities of their lives and the pipe dreams that they try to achieve in the midst of you know 
1980s, like rural Texas. Like that to me is interesting. Not, Oh, who broke up with who it's like, no, no, no. Like football is the back is the background. <laughs> That's so, yeah. The fact that people like, they, uh, so I, I never know. watched the Friday night light show, but the movie, Oh my God, it was so good. Cause it hit on all those themes you said, while I feel like, I don't know. I, I feel like the show doesn't really do that, but no. I, again, I haven't seen it, but I don't know. Booby miles, baby. Yeah, exactly. Like that's why it's, it's so iconic. Like, no. it's, I, well, I, I could go on for sure. Yeah. But another question. So the next question I want to ask is if you had the opportunity to interview one person in the realm of the NBA that you believe that you throw out into the universe within the next year that you could interview. Oh, damn. Throw into the universe. One player in the NBA that I believe that I can achieve the interview and get it and do it. Who would it be? doesn't have to within be the ne- within the next year. Yeah. Next year. So, Oh, oh man, you're putting me on the spot. Cause so you can revisit like, in one year. That's why I was like, man, he's making me call my shot. And it's, Oh, Okay, so that's why you don't uh, have to say like LeBron or Giannis or something like that. That's outrageous for a year. No, no, no. I wasn't. I, I wasn't going to say that. I wasn't going to say that. Um, and then I said, so 365 days. So from now until March 10th, 2023. Uh, the Kanye West in me wants to go out there and be like, boom. And then when I shoot my shot, like whatever. But uh, there's a part of me that also wants to be like, okay, just. So Let measure be, your efforts. You know what? I'll say, what's that? I was gonna say, is gonna be. Are you gonna be swaggy p about it? Or are you gonna be Kyle Lowry and, and take the easy bucket? <laughs> oh man, somewhere in between. You know what? I'll say Scotty Barnes. All right, all right. I'll say, I'll say the re- reason why is you no, know, no, no. I'm not gonna give any reason why because I don't want to like no. mess up the mojo. I'll just say Scotty Barnes. Scotty Barnes. All right. Well, I I will. I will look forward to that, and I'll be the first person to to promote it, like Duke Washington from Rocky Five. When <laughs> when I see you, that's a good reference. That's and chatting really with Scott, reference. yeah, it's about obscure, like you know, people with Rocky fans. Like if you could, yeah, in the ring, in the ring, Tommy Gunn only fights in the ring. Oh my God, that's the, that that's incredible. Yeah, ah, oh. was also the surgeon from Mister from Being the Movie. Like never forget. And, and then see if no, I can't say if when it does happen. You can take this clip right here, Absolutely. and then and whenever I post it, be like, "This is where Ben called his shot." Just so y'all know, it was on my show. Yeah, that's it. That's it that's was on all... Huddle Up. Like, yeah, that's that's all. I, that's all I can really ask. You know, I'm not expecting <laughs> to see LeBron or Giannis pop into your Zoom in the next year. Maybe in five or ten, or when the play button rolls in, then Mike Korzemba is maybe maybe gonna we'll have see. to you know sit in shock and awe of the great empire you've built of content creation. But oh gosh, we need to walk before we run first. So Scotty Barnes, yeah. I expect to see it before March 10th, 2023, at 11:59:59 59 Eastern. <laughs> At least, he, at least he gave me a couple more hours, right? It's six oh two right now, so I was like, okay, I haven't. He gave me a couple extra hours, so that's, that's not yeah. bad. Six more hours, it, and it'll do. <laughs> okay. And the final question I have for you is this: Yeah, if you had the opportunity to be able to create a show based around your personal brand, like that could be a put on television or YouTube, like a consistent show, like, like Tim, like Tim and friends or Tim and said, whatever, something like that. That's just like, it's solely based around you and not like something else. What would be a segment 
that you would like to experiment with on your show? Oh man. It can be as silly as you want. It can be like sillier than Serge Ibaka and like, Kawhi, when are you going to resign? Or like him cooking in the kitchen and the moose testicles and all that kind of stuff. Like segment, (laughs) you're like, you know, it's like no company's bearing down on you. You're like, I can just experiment with this. I have whatever resources I can bring in whoever. What would the segment be? Oh man, that's a good one. Cause you know, I'm currently, I'm currently working on a couple uh, projects right now that is like something I've envisioned, but uh, okay. I'll, I'll think of, um, does it have to be like sports related nope, or no, nope, no, nope, not at all. Any of that. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Um, like, so, so, so no budget at all. Like it's just like what, like, yeah, whatever any, you want, you snap your fingers and it happens. You just have to okay. just wave the magic wand. Okay. Oh man. This is, that, that's a great question. That's an incredible question. Um, Okay, I, I'll, I'll come up with two. One is for like, you know, obviously since we're in the sports basketball world, that put it put it that way. And then another one is for, I guess, a pop culture side of things because I guess that's my shtick, you know, sports, pop culture. So for the sports one, um, actually, you know what? This could, this could kind of, uh, this could kind of work for both. So this is what, so for basically, it's a kind of a simple premise. But just the idea of like, say, sitting down with like a pro athlete, say, say LeBron or whatever, right? He's at the end of his career or like he's already retired himself. Sit down with him. And then basically we go through a, high, a highlight reel of his, all of his iconic moments and just kind of breaking down. It's like, yo, what was your thought process going into this? And just kind of like sitting with him as he reacts to like all this stuff. So, for example, if we were doing it with like music, right? If you sat down with someone like Drake. You go back, you go down his like Rolodex of all the records he's put out. You start from the very beginning. I'm not talking like, you know, thank me later. You go back to like room for improvement, like his mixtape type stuff. Mm-hmm. And then you'd be like, yo, like we'll throw it back. Cause a lot of artists and I guess athletes too, when they do these interviews, you know, they get, it's a lot of it is toned into what's current and recent. Right. I always like to, I want to take them on like a time capsule or time travel where they go back to like, remember at this point of your career when you were doing this and then just kind of take them through it and just kind of see their visual reaction of like, dang, like, cause for me personally, whenever I look at old videos and stuff like that, it brings so much nostalgia to me. Right. So if you kind of do imagine doing that with a athlete or musician or actor, whoever, and you're showing them kind of like a highlight reel of their career up to now i think that'd be pretty cool i know it's not the most original idea because i know it's been done before with like um i think gq or vogue has done it with like uh actors in their movies where it's like they they look back at all their previous roles and stuff like that something like that but doing an interesting like twist to it i'm give me time i'll figure i'll figure that one out (laughs) i feel like one that would be really like unique i guess just to myself that just came into my mind as you were talking about showing people stuff. I feel like playing like, I feel like I guess I played a lot of Dreamcast as a kid. I feel like it'd be really mm-hmm. fun to sit down and like play Dreamcast with, with people who are like famous athletes or people who played, you know, or who played the sport, right? Like playing NFL 2K with Tom Brady. It's like, wow, like, mm-hmm. bro, how crazy is this? The fact that this game 
what came out when you were in the league and it didn't even create you. Like that's how disrespectful they were to your career at the time. Or like, or like, you know, Vince Carter being like super overpowered or even those players like you mentioned that Antonio Davis's or the Charles Oakley's of the world. I just think it's interesting to look back or reflect on those relics in time where at the, you, you mentioned like looking back at the old school or the beginning of a person's career, you don't say, Oh man, like how was it to, and um, that's what the Vogues do, right? Like Drake, like how was it to be in, you know, to do God's plan or it's like, man, like, how was it to do, you know, your first mix or something, right? Yeah. Like just like thinking back to the original times, because then it can make people nostalgic to their origins of the creation. Right. Cause it kind of gives you that um, throwing back to Rocky, you know, in, in Rocky five, when he goes back to, you know, the abandoned place that used to be Mickey's gym. And he like sees the ghost of Mickey talking to him and, looking back and retracing his steps is what it's such a powerful scene even though people don't really regard the movie that highly i think those things are kind of underrated because then it retraces the steps of the origin and when you forget the origin then it doesn't really give as much meaning to the present you know like it doesn't give as much meaning to oh well drake yeah he lives in park circle lane he lives in his big house his mansion does all these things but it's like where was drake like being shot in the grass here where was drake like before that right like and that's why when you dig into these interviews and what you've been so good at doing it's what brings someone back or it's what trips cabbie out because you say, yo, like, what was it like when you did X, Y, Z to propose to your wife? Like, cause people sometimes stopped. They, they forget to stop and think about those moments. Right. Cause they're just so focused in the present, which is also good. I'm not saying it's a bad thing. Yeah, for sure. And I think that's why I never take those, uh, those long form interviews for granted. Cause again, you know, I was saying how, Oh, a lot of the bigger networks and stuff, they don't ask those questions. Cause well, you only have so much time with someone. Right. And then, yeah. And then if you're working for a big network, they have to like, oh, you have to ask who's this and this because it's like, you know, stay re- to stay relevant to what's currently going on. Um, but yeah, that's why I appreciate the long form format so much because you get to actually sit down and have a proper conversation as opposed to like, you know, a sideline reporter uh, type of interview where it's like, how did you feel about this? Oh, no, no. Okay, thank you. Have a nice, like. Yeah, like exactly. And that's even that's a topic for a whole nother day where Uh you're trying to make those interesting when people have already become conditioned to hear questions where you're just answering the question for them and they just repeat what you just said and then just thanks bye. But yeah, yeah, that's that's why I was like one of the greatest things I oh, and it's become somewhat of a meme. It's like, who was it that um, I forget, forget her name who uh, who asked OG. Who asked OG what was like? Amy, what do you love about Texas? Amy Audibert. Amy Audibert. A- yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yo, I remember when I was watching that. I was like, that's so funny. And then I just thought it was hilarious. It was just a great question to ask because it was just so out there. And I was like, see, that's the see. If I was like a sideline reporter for 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 them, I'd be asking dumb shit like that. No, no, not saying it was a dumb question or anything, yeah. but like you know, it's it's I, totally unexpected compared to yeah. The, I thought you were going to bring up the Nick Saban clip where the female reporter goes, she asks him the same question. He's like, I'm not going to answer that. So quit asking where she keeps badgering on the same point. Like eventually they learn how to deflect like the Brad Marchands, right? Like, yeah. just, what do you like about Texas? Oh, well, I don't know. I never thought about that. Like you stump them because it's, it's, you're breaking the code of their brain programming to what they expect. Yeah, and that's what, and I think that's why I've been having trouble getting like uh, current Raptors to do interviews because I think maybe Raptors PR is like, yo, man, he's gonna ask some like wild stuff. <laughs> but I get, I, I don't know, we'll see. You know, not again. 
uh, keep, you got to keep grinding and hopefully, you know, I'll have the opportunity to. Well, we'll stay posted on that, Ben. And we know that you won't be going anywhere anytime soon as far as it comes to Raptors content because I'm expecting to see Scotty Barnes and you sit down and Zoom in the next 365 days and oh, six, five hours and 50 minutes. Oh, I oh. put it out there. Oh, okay. It's okay. It's, ben, this will ben. be a highlight clip, but it, it'll it'll push you towards actually getting it. So when you do... No, honestly, like, hey, like, honestly, I need our that Our manifestation push. was real. Yeah, facts. 100%. Ben, I've had such a great time chatting with you today, man. I really appreciate you being able to come on and us being able to just chop it up and have a great time because that's why I like long form interviews. Yes. Is someone going to sit here and watch all one hour? No, people won't do that to Joe, Joe Rogan, but it's super fun nonetheless. And you're such an interesting guy. And I'm really grateful that you're able to come on and, and chat with me in today's interview, man. It was super fun. Hey man, again, appreciate you for having me on and you're killing it. 100 100 plus episodes in keep grinding at this and like i've seen the i've seen the guests that you've had on like it's great company to be in and hey man keep keep grinding at this you'll have you'll have you'll have your own joe rogan level show too well i'll take you up on that one as well ben and with that thank you to the listener for enjoying today's episode with yahoo sports content creator ben carlos first and goal from the one this is it stegall Thanks for listening to today's episode of Huddle Up with Matias Bueno. Check out our social media pages for more at huddleup underscore MB. For full audio, head over to Spotify and Apple Podcasts. For full video, head over to YouTube at Huddle Up with Matias Bueno. Tune in next week for another great episode. See you next time.